Lord, it's so amazing to come before your throne of grace. We come in confidence that you'll give us grace and mercy in our time of need. Lord, right now in our country, we desperately need your grace, your mercy. Lord, we need you to be the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords that you are. Lord, I pray that as the church, we be the ones that give hope, that we be the, the ones that give joy, that we would renew our faith and our trust in you. Lord, I pray as we open your word this morning, I pray, God, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would give us the power of your Holy Spirit and fill us up so that we could concentrate and focus on you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, I wish everyone was so excited about their baptism like Grayson is. That's so, uh, so great. I want to read to you something before we jump into the main scripture. Listen to what God's God word says, because I think yesterday I had more people contact me in one day than any other time in 18 years of ministry. Um, a lot of things going on in our world. Listen to what it says. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? This is Psalm 118. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So if it appears like your guy in the election is going to lose, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And if your guy appears to be the one that's, that's going to win, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Last week, I gave a message on our role as Christians uh, in government, in politics, that red and blue doesn't define you. And everything that I said last Sunday is what I believe today. And if you need that message, I encourage you to go back and listen to it, watch it online on our website. Um, we're going to dig in this morning in a, a really important subject as we're going through a uh, Genesis, and we're in Genesis chapter 38. And normally, if I was just picking out messages to preach, I probably wouldn't pick this message. As you see as we walk through it, it's a pretty crazy story. But the point of it is, is that Jesus is, is not ashamed of Tamar, and Jesus is not ashamed of us. The point for this morning is that Jesus is not ashamed of his brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed of his sisters and brothers. And I'm so thankful for that because there are lots of things that I do in my life that Jesus could be ashamed of. But I'm so thankful that he doesn't turn his back on me. There's so many things that in our country that, that we, we should be ashamed of, but, but Jesus doesn't turn his back on, on our country. When I was looking into this, this message and talking it through with our, the senior pastor at the Wildwood campus, Smiley, we were talking about these two girls in the Beijing Olympics. So the girl that's on your right, she has a beautiful voice, and she was going to sing in the Beijing Olympics, singing the Chinese national anthem. But the Chinese government was ashamed of her looks. And so what they did is they put that girl on the left out because they felt like she was much cuter, much better looking, and she lip-synced to that girl's voice. Imagine that. A whole government ashamed of someone because of their looks. I'm so thankful that Jesus is not ashamed of me, that Jesus is not ashamed to call us sisters and brothers. And as we jump into this story here, you may be thinking as we're reading through this, what is going on in this message? What is going on in this story 
But I promise we will focus on Jesus not being ashamed and that we should not be ashamed of Jesus as we proclaim him in our lives. So we pick up the story here. Joseph was just sold by his brothers into into slavery, and they wanted to get rid of him. Remember, he was the one that was getting special attention uh, from Jacob, and so they came up with this plan to get rid of him. They got rid of him. They made it seem like he was killed by wild animals, and now all the brothers and Jacob are going on and doing their own thing. Judah who this story is centered around here, would have taken the lead as the the spiritual leader over all the other uh, of the brothers. And maybe it was the guilt that finally got to him, but he decides he needs to take a break. He decides he needs to get away because of all the stuff that's happened. And so he leaves. At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with the man of Adullam named Hira. There Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua, he married her and lay with her, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was named Er. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. It was at Kizbev that she gave birth to him. So Judah leaves. He doesn't go too far away. The land that he went was still within a day's walking distance from where he grew up. And he jumps right in to finding a woman. He doesn't uh, talk to the Lord about it. He doesn't talk to Jacob about it. He doesn't even talk to Tamar's uh, father about it. At least it doesn't say here. He doesn't have any discussion with Shua at all. He just jumps right in. You see in this line of people that their decision-making is not often going and seeking the Lord. It's just doing things. It's just going after their fleshly desires. And so that happens here. He gives birth to three sons. And then the story continues on. Judah got a wife for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Wow, he must have been very wicked that the Lord just took him out. It was very important to Judah uh, for Er to get a to get, for Er to get a wife so that his line would continue on, that he wanted his line, his generations, his genealogy to continue going on and on and on. And so he thought, i got to get my boy a wife as fast as I can. Again, not thinking things through, he ends up getting um, Tamar for Er. But then Er is taken out by the Lord. So then Judah said to Onan, Lie with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to produce offspring for your brother. That would have been custom at the time because offsprings were so vital to the line, so vital to getting work done uh, in their land that if the brother died, that it was the other brother's duty to take his place if he was not married and Onan wasn't married. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, and that's true. It wouldn't have been his. It would have been considered heirs even though he was dead. So Onan knew that his offspring would not be his, so whenever he lay with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from producing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so he put him to death also. Now this is not any type of statement about birth control or anything like that. The reason why the Lord was so judgmental and put him to death was because he didn't fulfill his duty. His duty was to be able to produce offspring for his brother. Uh, and he didn't do that, and so the Lord took him out also. 
Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, live as a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. Now Judah is starting to panic a little bit here that he's not going to have a line of, of generations to come because his sons keep doing wicked things in the sight of the Lord. And so he says, listen, Tamar, you just go away. He almost punishes Tamar. But it's not Tamar's fault for all the things that have, that have happened. But he says, no, you need to go. You need to wait. And so Shayla then could fulfill his duty after he grows up. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah, to the man who was shearing his sheep. And his friend Hira, the Adulamite, went with him. So Judah's wife dies, and so he's obviously grieving from this. So he decides what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the sheep shearing party. I mean, that's what it was. When I know it doesn't sound that wild and crazy, but uh, it was a wild and crazy time when they were sheep shearing because there was a party. It was a time for them to celebrate what the Lord had done. And so there was tons of festivities, tons of partying, tons of rejoicing, tons of, uh, of lots of uh, exciting things that were going on. And so Judah decides, I'm going to go to that. I'm going to take part in that. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear sheep, she took off her, her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and sat down in the entrance of Inayim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Shelah had not grown up, she had not had now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. He said, What pledge should I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. I told you the story is crazy. These are the people of God. This is the line that Jesus, our Savior, comes from. And I'm so thankful that there are stories like this in the Bible because then when I look at my sin in my life, when I realize that I, that I fall short, I realize that God is not ashamed of me and he can use me too and he can use you. If he uses people like God like this, that are so flawed. Tamar realizes that she's basically been ab abandoned by Judah, that Shelah has grown up, and now Shelah's not her husband, and so she thinks of a way that she can get back at Judah, that she can get back at him and also get back into being important. So she realizes that there's going to be this big party. She realizes that Judah's been grieving, and so she goes and dresses herself up like a prostitute, sets herself in front of Judah, and Judah, after a day and night of, of partying, uh, he submits to his carnal desires, sees a beautiful woman, and decides, well, I'm going to sleep with her. He certainly would have known that having intimacy outside of marriage is wrong in God's sight, but 
like a lot of us do uh, with our carnal sins, is that we fall into it. And that's what happened. He fell into it here, and he gives her his seal and his cord. And you'll see this is very important for Tamar's plan that she's about to uh, unveil. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, that Duelmite, in order to get his pledge back from the woman, he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, where's the shrine prostitute who is beside the road to Inaim? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So we went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who lived here said there hasn't been any shrine prostitute there. So Judah said, let her keep what she has or we'll become a laughingstock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but I didn't find her. So Judah's feeling really good right now. He slept with this prostitute. He's thinking, I don't even have to pay now. I can't even find her. He's kind of laughing to himself, but the joke ends up being on him, doesn't it? Because this is what happens. About three months after Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. And isn't this a spot where we look at the speck in other people's eyes without noticing the log in our own eye? And that's exactly what happened here. Judah's like, listen, burn her to the stake. Look at what she did after even knowing that he's the one that participated in, in sleeping with a prostitute. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these. This is the drop the mic moment for Tamar. She says, look, I have your cord, your seal. You're the one that slept with me. See if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I since I wouldn't give her to my son, Shella, And he did not sleep with her again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in the womb. And as she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand. So the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist. And this one came out first. But then he drew his hand back and his brother came out. And she said, so this is how you have broken out. And his name was Perez. And his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out. And she was given, and he was given the name Zyra. What a story, right? We see all of these crazy events happening. What do we do with the story? What do we do with it, the story in context of what's happening in our world in the last couple of days? Some people think that the Bible is just a collection of inspirational stories. But I believe that the Bible is so much more than that. I believe the Bible is foundational to our faith. I believe the Bible is a one-story book about Jesus. It's about the gospel. Because you see here that Tamar, in the midst of all of her craziness, all the things that she had done, all the things that, that fall short of what God's plan might have been for her, all the ways that Judah makes a mockery of God, all the things that his sons had done through murdering people, all the mockery that happens through all of God's people, God still is sovereign. 
And God is still in control. And he's not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Because when you look at Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus our Lord and Savior, you see in verse 3 of Matthew 1, this is not up on the screen, but it says, as you're reading through this genealogy, I know many times when you reach the genealogies in the Bible, you just skip through them, right? Because there's just a bunch of names. But you'll notice, if you go to Matthew chapter 1, it says, Judah, the father of Perez, and Zariah, whose mother was Tamar. In the genealogy of Jesus, there is Tamar. With Perez, that's in that line that she gave birth to. Through faking like she was a prostitute, through a horrible situation, sleeping with her father-in-law. I am so grateful and so thankful for the grace that Jesus gives us. I'm so thankful for the grace and mercy that Jesus gives our country. He is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And I want to show you this this morning, the gospel in four words, three words, two words, and one word. Because it's so important for us to remember, especially in this time. In four words, Jesus took my place. You look at these people in the Bible and all the sins that they committed, all the ways that they were far away from God, and I think it's really easy for us to point our finger at them, but I think if we honestly look at all of our lives, maybe we haven't slept with a prostitute who is our daughter-in-law, but we certainly have thought things that don't honor God. Maybe we haven't said things like Judah has said here, bragging about him not paying for this prostitute, but we certainly have said things that don't honor God. Jesus. And he took our place. See, all the ways that we sin against him, all the ways that we think thoughts against him and speak words against him and, and the feelings that we have that don't honor God, we deserve to be punished for that. The Bible is very clear on that. And the punishment for all of that is death. But Jesus took our place by living a perfect life and then dying on the cross and then raising from the dead so that if we, if we believe in him, we will not perish, but we will have eternal life. The gospel in three words, him for me. If you're feeling desperate right now with what's going on in our world, know that the God of the universe, through his son Jesus, is for you if you put your faith in Jesus. Two words, substitutionary atonement, that what he did on the cross atoned for our sins. We should be the ones on the cross suffering for all the things that we have done wrong. But he is the one that was our substitute. He's the one that took our place. And one word, grace. We all need grace, don't we? We all need grace from God. We all need love and kindness that we don't deserve. Did Judah deserve any type of love or kindness from God? Did he? No. Did Tamar? No. But there she is in the line of Jesus. Because Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And we should not be ashamed either. That's the action step for this week is don't be ashamed of Jesus. 
I've seen people over the last several months be so unbelievably bold with their political views online. And as a believer in Jesus, as being dual citizens, that we should be involved in the political process. We shouldn't just step, we shouldn't just step aside and just say uh, it's up to the people that are not Christians. No, we should be involved as Christians. But sometimes I see this boldness of people that I thought, let's, let's be bold for Jesus that way. He's the one that's going to give true hope. He's the one that's going to give true peace. He's the one that's going to bring true joy. Let's not be ashamed. Listen, when no one loved us, when we were dead in our sin, he's the one that died for us. When we deserve nothing, he rose to give us life and grace and peace. And we've received grace and peace. And we're reminded over and over in Scripture that we are no longer slaves to sin. We are set free from the sins that once enslaved us. He's the one that gives us freedom. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says this, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. We should not be ashamed because he's not ashamed of us. You know what it's like to, to feel shame. You know, maybe you're, you're, you're the kid in the neighborhood that was bragging that you could beat the new skinny kid in the race and you line up for the race and you're just bragging about how you're going to smoke him and then all of a sudden you race and you race down the road and that skinny kid absolutely smokes you and you feel ashamed. Or maybe you had a part in a, in a play and you've been rehearsing your lines and you get up in front of people and, and you go to say your lines and they don't come out the right way and you're ashamed. Or maybe you're officiating a, a wedding like I did many years ago, and I call the husband the wife and the wife the husband. Feel a little shames when people spend tens of thousands of dollars and the pastor messes up the vows. We've all felt shame. We all felt embarrassment. And part of the reason that we feel ashamed and we feel embarrassment is because we think of ourselves better than we are. I love how Paul, when he grew closer and closer to Jesus, he realized how much more of a sinner that he was. He realized his need for Jesus so much more. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then in 2 Corinthians, he goes through this list of things. And certainly Judah could have gone through a list of things. And Tamar could have gone through a list of things. And we can go through a list of things. He says this, far more in labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I've spent in the deep. I've been, in frequent, I've been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, in dangers from robbers, in dangers from my countrymen, in dangers from the Gentiles, in dangers in cities, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. The most loving thing in the world to tell the truth about is the way of salvation. And when 
Paul is recounting all of these ways that he was beaten down, all of these ways that he realized that he was not a perfect person, the closer he drew to Jesus. And I believe this is such an amazing opportunity in our country, whatever the results of the election end up being, for us to say, I have a Savior who's not ashamed of me, even though I've fallen short in so many ways. I've messed up as a spouse, as, as a mom, as a dad, as a worker, as a student. I've fallen short, but he's not ashamed of me. And because of that, I'm going to rejoice and be glad, and I'm not going to be ashamed of Jesus. So I challenge you this week, especially when this world is in need of more joy than ever, to be a source of joy for others. I think there are lots of ways you can take a step to not be ashamed. Pray uh, for your meal in a restaurant. Just take time to say thanks for God and do it publicly. There's a practice that I've done off and on through the years is that before I pray for the meal, I'll ask the, the waiter or waitress if there's anything I can pray for them about. And it will often open the door for a conversation of someone that's really hurting. Take a step of boldness. I know it can be a little scary, but take a step of boldness. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. You can carry your Bible with you to work or, or to school. And when people ask you about uh, what that is, you can tell them that's the source of, of life and truth for you. That you can take a step and break the sound barrier this week. Some of you have never prayed aloud before with anyone else. Listen, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be uh, theologically great. It's just a conversation with you and your Heavenly Father. So take a chance to, to pray out loud with someone this week. Pray out loud with your spouse this week. Break the sound barrier. Have a gospel conversation with someone. Just have your ears open for someone that maybe is upset about what's going on in our country. And you can say, hey, I'm with you. I, I, I'm feeling a little upset too, but I want uh, to point you to Jesus. Or maybe you find someone this week that's really up, excited about what's happening in our country, and you can point them back to where to find true excitement and joy. Take a step of faith. He's not ashamed of us, and we should not be ashamed of him. But the cool thing about Jesus is that even if we don't take any of those steps, even if we end up being ashamed of him, that we're not bold for him, you know what? He still loves us. Isn't that amazing? That's not an excuse to not stand up for him, but I think it's so freeing. I used to have this idea of God before I was a believer that he was this God that every single thing that I ever did wrong that he would just turn his back against me. And that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is just, is full of truth, he's full of grace, and he's full of mercy. So let's not be ashamed of him. Let's take a step of faith, not to earn his love, not to earn his grace, but to, to have it be an overflowing in our life of where we find our hope and our peace. In closing, I just want to share with you some of these verses in Scripture about not being ashamed. Mark chapter 8, Whoever's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory of his Father and his holy angels. Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 
Therefore, do not be ashamed of your testimony of our Lord, of me and his prisoners, but join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Our world is not disfamiliar with suffering for the sake of the gospel. And if we end up going through suffering as believers in this country for the sake of the gospel, we can know that we have the hope and the power that can only be found in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2, both he who, sacrificed, who, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. 1 Peter chapter 4, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but it's to glorify God in his name. This story here in Genesis chapter 38 is a pretty wild story. As I read through it several times this week, you see all of the ways that these are the people of Jesus. This is the genealogy that Jesus came from. And look at the mess that they made. As I read through it, it gave me so much hope, not only for our country, but also for myself. As I see a, a mess being made in my own life through my sin, I realize that God is not ashamed to call me a brother. And I don't want to be ashamed of him because he's the one that gives me hope. He's the one that gives me joy. He's the one that gives me eternal life. And if you're a believer in Jesus, he does the same for you too. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for not being ashamed of me. Thank you for being a seeking and saving Savior who's on his throne. Thank you for being the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Lord, help me to have courage. Help me to have boldness. Lord, I don't want to be ashamed of you, but in my sinfulness, there are so many times where I could speak up, but I don't. There are so many times where I'd rather scroll through social media than think of things of you. Lord, help us as a church to find our hope and our identity in you and in you alone. Lord, I'm so thankful that we don't have to be perfect for you to use us. You use us in our flaws and our shortcomings because you make all things new. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.